Thanks for listening to the Mark Aram Show podcast. Thanks for Xfinity for sponsoring said podcast. A couple of things in life I don't skimp on. Toilet paper, razor blades, seafood. I want the best of the best when it comes to all three. And internet. That's why I use Xfinity Internet. And it's the amazing 10G network. The 10G network from Xfinity, the future starts now. Smarter, more consistent, and a secure network. And it only gets better. Jump on board the Xfinity 10G network online. Just go to Xfinity.com. I'm WSB's Clark Howard. From Cobb to Cherokee. Carol to Gwinnett. Fulton to Forsyth. And all the Metro 11. You'll get severe weather. A traffic red alert. Or breaking news. Breaking news immediately. Accurate. From the WSB 24-hour breaking news center. WSB. Depend on it. The Mark Aram Show is performed before a live studio audience. No, I want this town to be near you. No, gray skies ever turn blue. the show and a good Wednesday Eve to you. Mark Aram here, you there. It's 10.06, 6 after 10. This is the Mark Aram Show, heard Monday through Friday, 10 to midnight on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We were off last night. Well, I was off last night because of the debate coverage here on WSB. Uh, the other bananas had to work. I missed you guys, but I got a lot of sleep. Too much sleep, in fact. <laughs> yeah, not us. Yeah. I slept from noon to 6 p.m., Woke yeah. up, had dinner with my wife, went to bed again 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. So basically Sheesh. just slept the day away. Yeah, I wish I had that much sleep yesterday. Yes. Yeah, you only got and about today. two, three hours, didn't you, Longoria? Yeah, yeah, I got three hours. I had to wake up. But I heard the guy filling in for me was fantastic. So at least oh, you guys had a great great in. It was, uh, yeah. Well, yes. It wasn't uh, a boring night, competition. I guess. Well, listen, this is, uh, this is if, if this is your first time listening to Mark Aram's show, Consider yourself lucky. Uh, the the Mark no Aram kidding. show on WSB has been on these airwaves uh, for 15 years now, as a daily version, almost two years. And uh, through those 15 years, I've interviewed uh, athletes, actors, comedians, politicians, uh, you name it, heads of state, legends in, in many different industries. Uh, the guest tonight on the show is the greatest guest we've ever had. We've gotten more response from this guest than anyone else, and uh, I, I thought it was appropriate. Just by chance. Yeah, by a chance. It wasn't here. About a year ago, this gentleman called in on the show, and uh, basically we let him take over the show because the story he was telling was amazing. So on this Veterans Day, um, I'm very happy and honored to welcome back to the Mark Aram Show, World War II veteran, former prisoner of war, and a native of Eatonton, Georgia. He is an author as well. He is Frederick Shear. Fred, thank you again for joining us on the Mark Aram Show. How are you, sir? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go buy another hat. My head just got so big. I t I'll tell you what, Fred, of all the guests we've ever had, we've had the most feedback from your appearance last year. And uh, I just thought it would be awesome if we can get you back again on, on this Veterans Day. I am delighted. I'm honored. Well, Fred called in last year and uh, started to describe uh, his experience in World War II as a private. And it turned out he wrote a book, and he sent, Fred sent me a copy of the book last year. It's fantastic. It's called The European Sojourn. It's available on Amazon or anywhere you want to go online. Just Google uh, European Sojourn, 
and uh, you can check out Fred's book. It's an amazing tale, and I was hoping if you could give us the audio version or at least a portion of it tonight on the show for folks that didn't hear it last year, Fred. Well, can we can we boil it down to maybe my escape? To those that don't know, uh, I was captured by the Germans on July the 27th of 1944. I was oh, about what, 17 days after landing in France. It was about a month after the invasion. And cycle forward to nine months later out of captivity. And can I tell you the story of how I escaped? You can, let's, let's absolutely, let me give it, let's get the folks a little bit of a background, though. Okay. Okay, so um, you are uh, 1942, was, you're a freshman at the University of Georgia. I, at, in, in 1942, I was the first quarter freshman at the University of Georgia, and Mark, you just can't believe the way that this country was. Everybody knew. We all knew we had to do something to stop that megalomaniac killer. Uh, you know, it, we just had to, and it wasn't a question. I volunteered. Many millions of other guys did. We just dropped everything and said, look, we got to go and do the job. And that's what we did. So as a freshman at the University of Georgia in 1942, you enlist in the reserves of the U.S. Army, and you're called and to active in, duty. In, in, April 6th of 43, I was active duty, sent to Fort Mac here in Atlanta, and uh, spent 13 weeks there, spent uh, then a basic training, traveled across the country to, you know, toward the port of embarkation at uh, New York, went across on the... Uh, Empress of Australia, which I think had been a uh, German cruise liner. But when I, when I went across the, the five days crossing, uh, there was there were so many GIs on board that they had bunks and hammocks on, down below, and every hammock and every bunk had to be occupied by. Three different guys in row. That is, of course. So let me let me jump in for a second, Fred. So you you have a five day journey across the Atlantic in a former German cruise liner with with thousands of other GIs. What's the right. what's the mood on the ship as as you're crossing the Atlantic? Were you were you a confident bunch of young soldiers knowing that we were going to go over there and take care of business? Of course. I mean, you know, that was you you got to think back for a moment. Uh, my wife tells me that she, as a child, or she was young, and her mother rolled bandages. Other people collected, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, silver paper. Other people did. All, everybody was into it. This, the country was the most adhesive that period of time than it has ever been before or since. Everybody was into it. But going over... Uh, the ship was so full of guys, I found a place on deck. It was, we left in late October, ended in, uh, landed in Liverpool and, uh, uh, you know, about the 5th of, uh, November. And I stayed on deck the whole time it, because of the, what do you call it, the, uh, uh, Gulf Stream. Mm -hmm. It was relatively cold, uh, warm. And, uh, I didn't go below to sleep in one of the, on the companionway on the decks. I mean, in the bunks. 
So you, you spent the, 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 the whole trip guys. on deck. Yeah. All right, so you land in Liverpool. Uh, the first time, I'm assuming, on, on foreign soil. Had you, had you ever left the state of Georgia prior to that? I'd been to the New York. My family had driven up, everybody in one car, up to the World's Fair in 1939. But that was the only other time. So, but I'd never been, never been overseas. Never been, never been on the water except in Tybee Beach. So, uh, so from the, from the shores of Tybee Island to the shores of Liverpool, goes you young Private Frederick Shear, born in Eatonton, uh, in the Army, active. Uh, this is November of 1943. At what? At this point in the war. Um, Hitler had pretty had advanced pretty far west toward uh, into Europe. Oh, yeah, hadn't? yeah, yeah. In fact, he he had uh, you know he had all of basically all of all of Western Europe, uh, including France, Belgium, and the, the rest. And what we were doing at that point was building up for preparatory to an invasion. Now, uh, some Yanks had already gone to uh, North Africa, but. Uh, we were, you know, coming. They were building up in in England and Ireland. In fact, I left uh, left uh, what do you call it, Liverpool, and went to Pizzi Farms, which was a transit place for about two days. And I found out what London fog was—not the kind you wear, but you hold your <laughs> hand out, and you pull your arm straight out, and you couldn't see your hand. But at any rate. From there, I went to Northern Ireland to county down Northern Ireland. You know, Northern Ireland was divided between Southern Ireland as the Irish Free State and the six counties at the north were part of the U.K. Correct. And they were, they were being used like the rest of England and uh, was used to stockpile men and materials and so forth. So I spent nine months there and... Uh, well, it was kind of fortunate. I don't think my wife is listening right now, but I did find a little bit of a romantic. Uh, well, it was nice. <laughs> Passed the time away. Understood. Uh, beautiful Irish Colleen. But uh, any rate, I we landed the fifth. I joined the fifth infantry division, second company B of the second regiment of the fifth infantry division, and and I was a private. I stayed a private the whole time, by the way. At any rate, uh, we landed in France on uh, no, on Utah Beach on July the 10th of 44. Now, that was about a month after the invasion. We were trucked in to, uh, to uh, uh, the forward area, and it was in a French farm yard and whatnot, I can tell you some funny stories about that, but I won't take the time right now. <laughs> won't let, let me ask you a question. So you're, you're in Europe. There's there's two battlefronts here. Uh, there's there's the European battlefield, the Western Front, and the Pacific. Um, did you know when you were in basic training where you were going to be going? When did you find out you'd be going to Europe and not Japan? <laughs> when I got on the ship. <laughs> that, that was it. They said, all right, get on the ship. This ship's going to Europe. The other one's going to Japan. You know, it's a funny thing. I'm, I don't know that I've ever heard this from anybody else, but uh, we were lined up getting ready to go to the gangplank, to go up the gangplank, and you had to go by this one office. And individual, every one guy by himself knocked on the door, and, and an office, and a uh, voice inside says, come in, and went in. There was a 
doctor sitting behind, a medical doctor sitting behind the desk, and you walked in, you saluted, and he says, son, you want to go fight? And I says, yes, sir. He says, okay, go get on the ship. And that was it. <laughs> Could you believe that? That that is amazing. I, I was. I wonder what the process was like to determine who was going to the Pacific and who was going to Europe. And well, now, well, I don't know how that worked out. Now I was at Georgia. I was taking ROT uh, Calvary ROTC, mm-hmm. and they sent myself and a bunch of the guys at that to Fort Riley, Kansas, which is was a old uh, what you call it uh, Calvary post. But we were there for infantry basic training. And I guess they knew where they wanted us to go. That's, that's all I know. Were, were you happy? Were you happy you are going to Europe instead of uh, Asia? I didn't even know anything about Asia. <laughs> no nice Irish Colleens in the Pacific. There you go. Uh, all right, we're talking to a Frederick Shear, um, who is uh, the author of the book A European Soldier, and he is from Georgia, went to the University of Georgia, served in World War II, found himself in a prisoner of war camp, and escaped. When we come back, Frederick's going to start telling us the story of his capture and his escape. It's one of the greatest things you will ever hear on the radio. We're going to come right back again on this Veterans Day. We salute our proud veteran, listener of the Mark Aram Show and author Fred Shear. We'll be right back. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mark Aram on 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It is July of 1944. A young private named Frederick Shear from uh, Georgia lands on Utah Beach in France. It is World War II. How do you get from uh, France to Germany, uh, young private Frederick? <laughs> okay, Mark. Actually, it was, we landed on Utah Beach on the 10th of July now. At that time, that was about a month after the main invasion, and so about that, by then, the fighting was in about 20 miles inland to near a town called St. Lo, a city of St. Lo, France. And uh, so we, oh, I got to tell you, <laughs> uh, something we didn't train for. They didn't train us how to go over the side of the ship with full field packs, rifle. In my case, I had some uh bag of rifle grenades and you went down a rope ladder that was spread along the side of the ship like a big fishing net down into landing craft that was bobbing up and down and the ship was leaning back and forth nobody got in the water so we we won fortunately with the fighting in land like that the landing craft went all the way to the beach and dropped the bench so we you know we got went in on dry land that way. Excellent. They, were, they trucked us into a place right behind the front lines in a French farmyard where we had foxholes. In fact, the 2nd Infantry Division had been there, and we relieved them, and so we didn't have to dig foxholes. They were already there, and we were kind of in outpost position waiting Good. for to move forward. Could the soldiers that were already there look at you and tell that you were a, a newbie, that you, you this is your first time, um, and did they have a, an air of superiority perhaps over you? You know, I don't remember that. I really don't. I don't know that I even saw those guys. 
you know, maybe the people that were ahead of me and were in there, or the units were in there ahead of me. But I never did see those guys at all. So you're there, wide-eyed, bright-eyed. You just get off the ship, July 10th, 1944. You are in France. First time you've been uh, outside the United States of America. The foxholes are dug. In uh, in less than a minute, uh, what's your your first reaction to seeing European soil for the first time? Gosh. <laughs> That's it. Gosh. <laughs> That's right. It was, was the landscape war-torn? I mean, could you tell that battles had been fought there and, well, and lives had been lost? Well, there was, there was you know, there was no people around where we were. Uh, we were in a farmyard, and so, but there were dead cows and dead horses. And they wasn't, didn't smell very good, but, you know, that's, they were there. And we didn't bother them, they didn't bother us, but there was a lot of chickens wandering around, and we found out if we could careful, we could find hen eggs, and we loved hot hard-boiled eggs, cause, and you could take your, your, what do you call it, your steel helmet, when there wasn't any problems around. And boil them up. Build a fire and boil those eggs, and man, you'd see, you'd see two guys. From, from eating boiled eggs to being captured by the Germans, and how he escapes a POW camp. When we come back from news, weather, and traffic, Private Frederick Shear will share that amazing journey Stay right with us. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I'm WSB's Mark Aram. Depend on the WSB Breaking News Center for immediate, immediate breaking news, severe weather alerts, or a traffic red alert whenever and wherever they strike. Immediately accurate WSB. Depend on it. Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. You listen to the Mark Aram Show. Welcome back to the Veterans Day edition of the Mark Aram Show. As always, we thank our veterans for serving and that those who continue to serve. On this Veterans Day edition of the Mark Aram Show, we welcome back the greatest guest we've ever had in the 15 years of the program. He is Fred Shear. He is a veteran of World War II, an author, and a former prisoner of war. When we last left before news, weather, and traffic, he was in France. And sometime after this... After you're cooking boiled eggs in your head, in your hat, you get captured uh, by the German army. How did you get captured as a young private in the uh, summer of 1944? Mark, our position was the, our foxholes were along a line, and the line was a static line, a battle line that had stalled because they were trying to take the city of St. Lowe, and the Americans were went in, and the Germans threw them out, and they went in. And about the third time, they took it. So on July the 27th, the line began to move forward. We would begin to take more ground. Uh, our outfit moved up on the line. You understand this was hedgerow country. This, I, I guess you and your listeners know what hedgerows are, and I won't try to explain them now, but at any rate, they divided up the country into large areas, so like large farm acreage. But at any rate, uh, as we were there and we started to move forward, and I'll never forget, we were behind one tall hedgerow, and all of a sudden these guys started coming over the top of it. They were running as best they could and hollering, take cover, take cover. The Germans have zeroed in on us with 88s and 88-millimeter 88 shells were they were murderous. They really were tough. At any rate, 
it, just about that time down the far end of the same hedgerow, a couple of them uh, hit the hedgerow and just about knocked the end of it out. And unfortunately, our company captain happened to be too close to where that happened, and he just got eaten up with shrapnel. And uh, the company exec took over, you know, command immediately, and uh, he said they, they got four guys together. There was uh, The medic was working on the captain and had him on a stretcher, and, and the company exec grabbed, you know, you, 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 and you, and I was one of the U's, grab this stretch and take it back to the aid station. Well, just about that time, the uh, medic says, oh, God, he's gone. And with that, you know, uh, they said something that probably never happened much after that, but they said somebody give him something to cover his face, and I gave him my shirt. (laughs) And we carried him back to the aid station, and uh, incidentally, I saw he had a forty-five pistol hanging off of his belt, and I figured he didn't need it anymore. And I always wanted one, so I put it in my pocket. By the time I got back to where the unit was, that thing was heavy. I, I gave it away. So, well, anyway. you never can have too many guns in a war, I would imagine. Well, my, my M1, which was, as the guys will tell you, is your best friend. That was the thing I had, and that's... I can remember the number, 17, 11, 81, 82, I think was the rifle number on it. But at any rate, just about the time we got back, I, I'll make this as quickly as I can, but just as about the time as we got back, uh, they were grabbed, the uh, company exec grabbed our squad for ammunition detail, and they sent us back with a, with a buck sergeant to go back and load up with bandoliers of ammunition. Well, he had been given a map for us to come back and meet the unit at a different location behind a different hedgerow. And we went in, loaded up, and we worked our way back up, and we got to the point behind this forward hedgerow where uh, we were supposed to meet the rest of the unit, and there was nobody there. We were there by ourselves. And the sergeant was looking at his map to see if he'd made a mistake, and no, he hadn't. just about that time, the Germans started dropping mortar shells behind us. So we couldn't go back. And you did the normal thing. I mean, it was wide open to your left, the hedgerow was on your right, and so you ran toward the other end of the hedgerow. And just before we got there, the Germans started dropping mortar shells up there. So what do you do? You turned around. Well, at any rate, on the second time up, just before we got up to the edge of the end of the hedgerow, they uh, the Germans did not drop mortar shells, but instead there was a guy sitting up on a bank in front with an automatic weapon with his finger on the trigger looking down at us and saying, hands up, my boys, hands up. And, you know, Mark, that may have been the only English he knew, but that was enough. So he so, said it in English, hands up, my boys, hands up. Hands up, my boys, hands up. And, man, <laughs> you know, all he had to do was twitch his finger and the whole 14 or 15 of whatever it was I was would have been gone right then. Bam. So are these are these 14 privates and, and one sergeant? Who Who's in this group that that you're with? That's right. That We, we were the we group that had gone back for ammunition to bring up to, to where we were, where we were supposed to miss the whole unit. And there wasn't anybody there. But you understand that on one side of the hedgerow, on our side, 
It was just wide open ground mm-hmm. all the way back. And on the other side, there was wide open ground and then the whole German army. Now, are you are you east or west? I see a, a river going through Saint Lo, Le, the Levere, L I L A V I R E. Are you are you past that river? Or are you before that river? We're before the river. Okay, before the river. Okay. So, at any rate, so uh, you know, I dropped my rifle like everybody else did. What are you going to do? At any rate, if I looked down, I decided, you know, maybe that's too close. Would you believe? I reached down and picked it up and tossed it away. I bet you that guy was like Clint Eastwood. I bet he said, make my day. He, he sees you reaching for your rifle on the ground, and <laughs> you just wanted to throw it farther away from you. At any rate, they, they, they made us take our helmets off, hands on top of our head, and they hauled us back. I, Mark, there's a lot more I can tell you about this area, but in essence of time, I'm going to cycle forward. Nine months. Let, let me just ask you one quick question. So, so you're captured by? Are these uh, standard German troops? Are these uh, SS? These, they, they, these were paratroopers that didn't have an airplane. So and, they were flightless German paratroopers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, in fact, I got to tell, tell you this real quickly. That the next day, we were waiting after to be on the road marching toward, uh, you know, inland. And uh, we were standing around, and, you know, all these, I was, my birthday was July the 15th, and this was like July the 28th. So uh, I was just 20 years old. And these these German soldiers were the same age. We were all about the same age. And we were standing around waiting to go on the road and where they were going to collect other prisoners. And uh, one German came over and showed me a picture of him and his whole outfit kneeling down in front of an airplane. And he was, wasn't doing it for any menacing. He was just, you know, he was proud of his flight crew. Mm-hmm. And another one showed me his switchblade. Well, he wasn't trying to scare me. He was just proud of that knife. Interesting. And again, you got to remember that we would, you know, they would like to know a little bit more English and I guess, I don't know that we really want to know any more German, but at any rate, uh, again, just for a few minutes there, it was just young kids, all non-combatants right at that moment. Are you, are you in handcuffs at this point? Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. They, they, didn't, they didn't use handcuffs. That was maybe the Gestapo did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and by the way, uh, you know I'm Jewish, but I didn't tell them so. I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope not. There's other stories about that too, but I won't go into that right now. There's so, lots so, of other details along the way. Well, we'll get to those. So you're captured now, and they're marching you toward other prisoners with the eventual um, ending okay, point what, of where? What they're doing, we, we, were, we were moving toward Reims, France. And we got there by marching, by trucks. I tell you, we got to a small town that was kind of like maybe Edenton, my hometown. Where there was, a, you know, a, a courthouse or something in the center and the square and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and they had all of had this whole they'd collected a whole bunch of prisoners by then, and they was all standing on one side of the street waiting for trucks, and across the street were a bunch of French folks, and just looking, and nobody was saying anything to anybody, but every once in a while, one of the French people would run across the street and hand something to appeal. 
POW and run back, and the Germans may holler at him, but they didn't, they didn't try to stop him. They knew what was going on. And what the French were doing, they were bringing over a hen egg. Trying to give or, you some food. Or, or, a, little, or a little bit of cognac mm-hmm. to give to the prisoners. And I couldn't do it, but the way the guys were doing it, they'd punch a hole in either end of the egg and suck it out. <laughs> Just a raw egg. A raw egg. Forget it. <laughs> anyway, they took us to Reims, and where Reims had put us on, on rails. And, uh, you may have heard of the old 40 and 8s. That was from World War One. the trains that they were just, uh, freight cars that were designed for 40 men or eight horses in World War One, And that's what they put us on, and we went from there to a... Uh, oh, somewhere, uh, I think it was Muhlberg, Germany. Uh, I think maybe it was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in northern Germany. Well, the transit camp. And we were there. I say we because when you you went out with different people than you came in, somehow or another they worked it out. But at any rate, I was there for maybe three or four or five days at the most. And from there, went overnight to another transit camp at Mooseburg. And this was a big transit camp, and it was one that uh, I was there for probably two weeks. And I must tell you that both camps, mm-hmm. Mark, were divided in with a barbed wire and, and other kind of fencing. And on one side were Americans and Brits and Australians and New Zealanders, you know, and on the other side were Russian. Really? Why did they separate the, the two? Oh, well, I tell you, to start with, uh, I guess the, the Germans had signed the Geneva Convention, mm-hmm. which they abided by to a small degree. The Russians had not, and neither had the Japanese, by the way. Okay. And, and they treated the Russians like dirt. They really did. Wow. They really did. At any rate... Uh, my, uh, if my, if you watch, if you've ever watched Hogan's Heroes, sure. you, you might remember that uh, one day, one night, actually, four guys came up to where I was in the camp, in my bunk or whatever, and uh, they said they were POWs, they were prisoners, and they said they were camp administrators, and I'm sure the Germans were happy to have this set up this way because it helped to keep organized better, I guess. And these guys uh, came, and they gave us some postcards that we could write. And they mostly just check check off and say, I'm, I'm in good shape or whatnot, and put your family name on them and address and whatnot. And that was mailed back, you know, through, the, through uh, Switzerland, I guess, the Red Cross back home. And that's the way my folks, well, they had gotten a notice from a telegram, I got pictures in my book, uh, telegram saying I was captured. But so, who, who sent the the U.S. Army sent your folks a telegram saying, "Hey, your son has been captured, but he's still alive." Well, at, at first, no. At first, they got a tele, they got a telegram saying that he was missing. Oh boy! Action. Oh boy! <laughs> and uh, then later, they got they got one saying that I was a prisoner of the German government or something. Government or something. I don't remember exact words. What what let me let me interrupt you right real quick, Fred. When we come back, uh, okay. Fred Shear is going to be in a German prison camp. He has been captured. This is uh, the middle of World War II. He is a uh, Eatonton, Georgia native, twenty years old, and now in the custody of the German army.
how he escapes, and what the camp is like when we come right back. He is Frederick Shear. I tweeted out a link. If you want to purchase his book, I highly recommend you do. It's on Amazon. Check out my Twitter, at Mark Aram. Veterans Day edition with a very special guest. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mark Aram on 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are joined on this Veterans Day by World War II veteran, former prisoner of war, Georgia native, Frederick Shear. A private in uh, the summer of 1944, captured by the Germans in France. He is now in a German prison camp. Where do you wind up? Where's the camp that you finally wind up and spend the most time at, Fred? In Adolf, Germany. About It was on the rail line between Plauen, Germany, and, Ad- and Ega, Czechoslovakia, about six kilometers west of the German-Czech border. And how big a camp is this? How many prisoners? How many soldiers? How, uh, can, can, can I slip back and take a couple of steps forward and, and get to that? Sure, absolutely. Okay. We, at, from this camp I was just telling you about, uh, late one afternoon, 80 of us were called out and lined up in front of a platform. And a German officer stood on the platform and says, okay, you're going to, and whatever, whatever. but at any rate, he says, you're going to a work camp, and it's against the German federal law for anybody with a Jewish faith to work in Germany. So anybody that's Jewish, step out of line, and you'll be replaced. And some guys did, and they called out some names like Goldberg and Goldsmith and whatnot, and those guys were, quote, replaced. I found out later, Mark, I didn't know it then, but I kept my mouth shut. I st- I stayed with the crowd, but I found, we found out later, or since we've been back here, that the Germans had a special camp for Jewish prisoners of war. It didn't matter if they were American or not, and they worked them to death. Many of them did not get to come back home. But at any rate, from there, they put us on 48 trains again, and it was like an overnight trip to Adolf, Germany. The camp was... Uh, uh, situated, as I say, about 60 kilometers west of the German-Czech border. It was occupied by 80 American prisoners of war and a cadre of old men too old for to go to the front. It was situated adjacent to a major rail center. So, was, I'm sorry, Fred, so there's only 80 prisoners and a, and a handful. That that doesn't seem like a very big camp to me. That's a, you know, well, what? This, this is strictly for labor. Okay. We were, we were rented or leased to the railroad by the government. Interesting. Let me, let me let me stop you right there. I hate to do this, Fred. We got to, We got to jump out for news, weather, and traffic. But Go ahead. I, I Go want ahead. to continue I'll with this. Um, we are all in, in enthralled by this story. And if you want to get uh, Fred's book, A European Sojourn, it's available could, on Amazon. Mark, can could they could they email me? Absolutely. What what's your email, Frederick? F like Frank, O like Oscar, S like Sam, C like Charlie, H like Hotel, Edward, Edward, Robert, at MindSpring.com. You're so old school, you've got a MindSpring account. I love it. We're going to come back. I'll give the email out address again, uh, the address out again, and uh, we'll continue this amazing story of World War II. Stick around. This is the Mark Aram Show. 
Thanks for listening to the Mark Aram Show podcast. Thanks for Xfinity for sponsoring said podcast. A couple of things in life I don't skimp on. Toilet paper, razor blades, seafood. I want the best of the best when it comes to all three. And internet. That's why I use Xfinity internet. And it's the amazing 10G network. The 10G network from Xfinity, the future starts now. Smarter, more consistent, and a secure network. And it only gets better. Jump on board the Xfinity 10G network online. Just go to Xfinity.com.